Amen. Please be seated. Great to see you today. So, I've said this before, and um, no doubt I'll say it again. I'm getting older, so I tend to repeat myself. The new year is defined by lots of different people in lots of different positions and professions. The uh, accountancy people would tell us about the financial year. Maybe if you're a politician, you would tell us about the fiscal year. Maybe if you were a church person, you would talk about the ecclesial year. But we all know which year defines everything. And it's the academic year. It doesn't matter where you come from, who you are. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. I've tested this out in many other places and other countries and continents around the world. The academic year is the thing that defines everything. It's the watershed. And, of course, we're right in the midst of that right now. Parents are breathing an enormous sigh of relief. And uh, kids are grateful to be back seeing their friends again and hanging out and um, enjoying all of the fun and frolics of their academic life. And of course, it being such a significant moment in our lives each academic year, it's important that we take this moment to pause. And so most years that I've been here and most years that I'll continue to be here on into the future until I'm very, very old, we will pause around this time of the year to think through our vision. Our vision individually, and collectively, because if we're going to achieve the things that God has put in us to be fulfilled, one of the most important things that we can develop is an instinct, an understanding, an intuitive and intentional grasp of what it means to be people with a vision. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at vision. Eventually, we'll get to the collective vision of what it means to be a person walking with the company of believers that is called Apex. But for this week, we're going to look at the specific issues that relate to you and I as we want to fulfill the things that God has placed in your heart to fulfill. And to do that, of course, I could regale you with stories of the great visionaries of history, great visionaries of recent history, Martin Luther King Jr., of course, Winston Churchill, others from more recent past, perhaps, those who have done great things, achieved significant, significant targets in their life. But instead of doing that today, what I want to do is I want to look at the Scriptures, look at our lives, and ask the Lord to give us fresh wisdom the journey. And to do that, I very often turn to the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And so this morning, we're going to look at Proverbs 29 and verse 18, a famous verse, many famous verses, of course, in Proverbs and throughout the wisdom literature. But here it says, in the New International Version, it says, 
Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. In the authorized version, the King James Version, it says, where there's no vision, the people perish. Now, it doesn't sound as though those are the translations of the same Hebrew words, but perhaps it'll help if I give you just a little bit of technical information before we continue. The two key words here for revelation or vision and for perish or cast off restraint are ancient, ancient Hebrew words that go way back into Semitic history. Hazon refers to the prophetic vision. It's not just a generalized vision. It's not just, a, it's not just an unspecified vision. It's not just a, a desire for something good in the future. It's a specific prophetic insight that God gives to an individual. And then the other word is para. This word, again, is an ancient Hebrew word with, with a, a great provenance and longevity and refers to a person who is exposed to the elements. Now, if you live in the ancient world or if you live in the majority world still to this day, if you're exposed to the elements, your life is in serious risk. Because being exposed to the elements suggests that provision and protection is not available to you. And so, of course, being exposed in thus manner, you would naturally expect a person to perish. But it has a kind of cognitive connection. Yes, it is a person that's exposed to the elements, but it's a person that's done it to themselves. And so they've lacked the necessary disciplines to provide for and protect themselves in the midst of a world of danger and difficulty. So here we have this incredibly important verse, a verse that's been used on numerous occasions in many places to help us understand many different things. And what it's saying is simply this. If you have a prophetic revelation from God, you will be able to take on the necessary disciplines to see the vision that God is giving you fulfilled. If you have a word from God that you know is personal to yourself, that explodes in your heart with personal revelation and application, you will have all that you need to become a person who will take on the necessary constraints, the necessary disciplines to see that word fulfilled. Now, it's a tremendously important way to understand our lives because so many people long to live a life of significance. They long to live a life of achievement. They long to have a legacy that they can look to and pass on to others. And of course, the only way you can do that is that you actually achieve something. And here, in this verse, and really throughout the whole narrative of Scripture, 
we understand that the way that we achieve what it is that we're called to achieve is that we have a vision of what it is that God has designed us for. And in knowing what it is that we've been designed for, we take on the necessary disciplines to see it take place. Let's, let's think of an example. Some practical examples, the kinds of things that people ask me about all the time. One of the most common things that people say to me is, I'd like to grow spiritually. I'd like to, I'd like to grow as a Christian. I'd like to be a person who is known for their spiritual depth and perception, their, their grasp of the world, a person who has a spiritual anchorage so that they're not swayed by every, by every wave of change in the world. I'd love to be a person who knows God better. I mean, I look around and many of you are nodding, so you're indicating to me just by your physical language that these are things that you've thought about and maybe things that you've considered just in the last few days. So how do we grow spiritually? Well, you could attempt to do it in your own strength. This is really aggravating me. Is that, is that me blowing on that? It is, isn't it? I hope it's not going to aggravate you as much as it aggravates you. Uh, no, aggravate you as much. You know what I mean. Um, so, how do we do it? You can use your own effort. You can use your own strength. You can use your own determination. You can decide that you're going to get up an hour earlier. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up. It's the beginning of the new year. I'm going to read the Bible three times by June. I've heard you only have to read 10 chapters a day to do that, so I just have to get up two hours early. Yeah, I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. Yes, I'm going to be one of those people that people look at and they say, she's like Mary Magdalene. She's so deep. He's like the Apostle Paul. You ask him anything, and he's got an answer that changes your life. Well, of course, you've tried that, and it doesn't work. Because you run out of personal energy, you discover roadblocks along the way, you, you find speed bumps on the path, you find it impossible to maintain the necessary disciplines that will provide you with the time and space to read your Bible, to pray, to enter into corporate worship, to witness and to serve in the way that you want to. So how then does it happen? How does this revelatory life that is so important to the fulfilling of a vision. How does it come about? Well, of course, the Bible is full of characters. And as we go through the fall and into winter, we're going to look at 
a lot of the heroes of the Old and New Testament. It'll be great fun for us to do that. One of the heroes of the Old Testament, of course, is Moses. Moses is a man who achieved an amazing amount in his life. And he achieved most of it in the last third of his life, which is a great comfort to me. So here's Moses. He is a man who's obviously gripped, perhaps by a sense of personal guilt and shame, but maybe motivated by higher principles. He's a man who wants to see his people, his family, his his, his folk of origin liberated and set free. He wants to see them blessed. He wants to see them flourish. And he's lived in the walled garden of Pharaoh's court for the first part of his life. And one day, around about the age of 40, he has been educated and trained in all of the greatness of Egypt, Stephen tells us when he relates his story. One day, he's outside of the cultivated, curated experience of the royal court and sees an Egyptian guard abusing one of his countrymen. The Bible's wonderful in its narrative depth. It says, he looked this way and that and saw that no one was watching. And he killed him and buried him in the sand. He had the heart of a liberator. He had the heart of a freedom fighter. He had, he had the spirit of one who longed to see his people set free. But he was, to try, he was trying to do it in his own strength, with his own determination. And of course, you know the next part of the story. He breaks up a fight between two of his Hebrew brothers, and they turn on him and tell him that everybody knows what it is that he's done. And of course, he has to go into enforced personal exile. And so for the next 40 years, he's in the wilderness, preparing him for another 40 years when he'll lead people in the wilderness. But he's in the wilderness, having fallen in love and taken a wife, he is caring for his father-in-law's sheep. And there, at the mountain of the Lord, he sees a shrub, a bush, apparently on fire and yet not being consumed by the flames. And a voice speaks to him, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. And there, in that moment, Moses, the freedom fighter, hears a revelation that will mean the thing that God put in his heart to do can actually be fulfilled. I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God who hears the cries of my people. It's not just you, Moses. I hear the cries of the broken. 
I hear, I hear the prayers of the lost and the lonely. I hear the prayers of the disenfranchised and marginalized. I, I know what they're going through, and I will release them, and you're my chosen instrument. It changed everything. Because now, instead of Moses choosing to take on the task of liberation, now he was being used by the God of liberation to set his people free. Yes, he'd been designed for that very task, but he was not able to do it in his own strength. And now the revelation came to him, the personal understanding that can only come when God speaks to a person's heart. And in that communication, God gives everything to Moses that he needs to fulfill the vision that God's placed in his heart, the thing that he's designed him for. It will take enormous discipline. He's, he's a man who's diffident. He's afraid of speaking in public. He's not a person that's particularly given to leading people in conflict and battle. And yet, now he will take on the necessary disciplines. He'll take on all of the personal constraints. He'll take on all of the opposition and challenges because now he has not a fire burning in a bush, but a fire burning of revelation in his heart. Moses came to understand that there were three phases to his life, the first 40 years, the second 40 years, the third 40 years. And those three phases of his life are to be blessed, to be broken, and to be bountiful. To be blessed, to be broken, to be bountiful. Turn to your neighbor, say, blessed, broken, bountiful. Get it? Okay. Well, let's think of... Um, Let's think of another person, or let's think of another situation. Let's think of you, an adult, most of us in here are adults, and your responsibility is to help young people achieve what it is that God has put in their heart to achieve. You're a parent, you're a grandparent, you're a concerned, mature adult wanting to take a civil role within society, you're wanting to take a spiritual role within the body of the church. Whoever you are, whatever it is that you're doing, at some stage in your life, you will have probably and most likely some kind of responsibility for the influence of the young. So what are you going to do? You're going to say it's by the sweat of your brow that you're going to achieve all of the things that you're supposed to achieve. Are you going to tell them that it's waking up early and going to bed late that will provide you with bread for the table? Are you going to buy into the American dream that says, if you dream it, you can do it? Or are you going to take the framework of Scripture 
the principles of vision and train your children to be successful. I have three kids. Sally has three kids. They're the same kids. Our three kids have two kids each currently. One of them is threatening more. We don't know whether that's true or not. And so we have this kind of gaggle of people that gather at you know, major times of family interest and excitement. All of my kids are mature Christians. All of them are in ministry. I mean, you don't have to be in ministry to be a successful Christian, obviously. But they're in ministry of one kind or another. They have wonderful relationships with other adults in their lives, their spouses, their friends, their fiancés, and their children, though, of course, like all other children, struggling, wrestling, wondering whether they're enough, are progressing towards a fruitful adult life. And what is it that is the principal thing that we taught our children to do? Well, of course, we taught them to brush their teeth in the morning, to present themselves well to the rest of the world, to smile, to look people in the eye when they shake their hand. Actually, I forgot to say most of those things most days of their life. But one thing we did was to teach them how to hear the Lord. Big occasions, small occasions. We would say to them, what is Jesus saying to you? I'll give you an example. We've moved on numerous occasions all the way through their formative years. Instead of dropping the bomb on them that we were moving to another place and that we would have to find new friends and go to new schools, we would say, this is what we think God is saying to us. But we want all of us to have a word from the Lord because when the time gets tough, having made the move, if it's the right thing to do, all of us will need to have heard the Lord for ourselves because it's only when we have the word that God has spoken to us, do we have a secure place to stand on when the going gets tough? Said it so many times. And so little children, three and four and five, we'd say to them, just be praying, ask Jesus, read the Bible, listen to the Bible as we read it to you before you go to sleep at night, and just begin to listen. Just begin to listen. Now, of course, because they're children, you don't have to explain to them that God can speak to them. Of course, they know that. If we'd have waited until they're adults, we'd have started to say, well, you know, there are different personality types who hear God in different ways, and maybe... But for them, it was easy. And they heard God for themselves... And on each occasion, even though it required real difficulty to be overcome, real challenges to be embraced, they heard God for themselves. 
If you want to know the single most important thing that we put into the life of our children, it was the encouragement and the capacity, the expectation and the knowledge that God doesn't leave anyone out when he speaks to his children, that it's the birthright of every Christian to hear the voice of the Spirit. And though, as adults, it sounds complicated, and we think that it must be some kind of verbal communication, whereas children understand that it's in pictures and feelings and senses that God will be speaking to them and confirming to them what it is that they think that he might be saying, which, of course, we have to learn later on in life if we've not learned it as children. Those children then, having heard those things, having been trained in these ways, become the mature Christians that they need to be to fulfill the calling that God's placed upon them. Esther, young woman, put in a ridiculously complicated situation. Just probably a teenager when she's identified as someone who can perhaps be part of the competition to replace the queen of the empire. Xerxes, this person who is undoubtedly the most powerful man in the world, is looking for a new wife. She wins the competition. Slightly different than the bachelor. (laughs) Slightly more significant. It wasn't a matter of receiving a rose. And there she is, now in this unrivaled position of influence. And Mordecai, her cousin, perhaps? Certainly someone within her close network of family relationships comes to her. Actually, he can't come to her because he can't get anywhere near the royal compound. He has to send a message to her. Sends a message to her that Haman, the great enemy of the Jewish people, has fooled, tricked the king into declaring the annihilation of them as a race. Esther bridles. She demurs. She says, well, what can I do? Mordecai says, God can save his people through anyone in any place. But perhaps it's this time and this opportunity that God has made for you to fulfill your calling. So what does she do? Well, she's been trained well, clearly. She asks all of her girlfriends to gather with her, and for three days, she goes into prayer and fasting, and she calls upon everyone who knows her to do the same thing. And on the basis of what it is that she receives during those three days, she has the strength, the courage, the fortitude to go into the very presence of the king whose flick of a finger can cause her to be 
dead in a moment. And she turns the situation around because God is able to work in her and through her. Clearly, she understands what it means to receive a word from the Lord. Those of you who are parents, grandparents, those of you who have opportunity to influence the young, if they're going to fulfill the call that God has placed upon them, they'll need to do it by understanding the prophetic vision that God wants to give them in many different circumstances of their life, big and small. And on the basis of those revelations, as they read the scriptures, as they pray, as they walk through this life, they will receive all that is necessary to fashion and shape their hearts and minds, and they will take on the disciplines needed to fulfill the calling that God has given them. See, it's practical stuff, this, isn't it? This is kind of down-to-earth stuff. And you're, you're thinking to yourself, some of you older parents, maybe my age or kind of similar stage of life, and you're thinking, ah, well, you're hearing it from me, they can hear it from you. Even if you missed it, you can return to this opportunity again. Even if you think that you failed, of course, there is every opportunity. There's no plan B with God. There's only plan A. And so, come back and say to your children, maybe adults now, you know, I, I wish I'd have trained you better in this, but you do know that you can hear the voice of God. You do know that He can speak to you and define your, your present and your future, don't you? You do know that, that in that revelation, there will be all that you need to fulfill the calling of your life. You know that. You can say it to adults, you can say it to children, you can say it to anyone. Because, of course, it's absolutely the truth. When the Holy Spirit came upon the church on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up in front of the crowd and said, This is the promise of God. This outpouring, this blessing is for every person at every age. At every stage of life, men, women, young, old, everyone, it is the birthright of every Christian to hear the voice of God and to know what it is that he's saying to you. Young and old, men and women will prophesy. The old will dream dreams, the young will see visions. Everyone is capable of hearing. Don't hear the enemy say, this is for the super spiritual. This is for the people who look like they've got a grasp of the Bible. It isn't. It's for every child of God. It's for every beating heart. What about me? Well, I've, um, I've been thinking about my life a lot recently. I've been thinking about what the journey is into the future. I look back over my life and I think, 
I think there's been two significant missionary journeys. The first one was largely in England, although I was blessed to be able to travel to various different places around the world, mostly in England. And in that process, I was able to see great things that God did. And then it was quite clear that we were called from that place into a new missionary journey when we came here to America. And it's probably been another 20 years that we've been largely focused in our work here. And of course, we've seen challenges and difficulties and opposition Lies and innuendos spoken about us continue to be propagated online. But then you look at what it is that God has done and you think, that's an amazing, amazing thing. Like Joseph, probably the single most important thing that I've had to learn is the humility to receive the word from God that requires the help of others. Trained in independence, trained at the feet of radical individualists, the big thing that I've had to learn is what it means to fulfill a vision that perhaps you don't even get credit for because there are so many other people involved. And as I look to the third missionary journey, I think of Joseph, and I think of Moses, and I think of Esther, and I think, you know, all of them went through these three phases of being blessed, of being broken, and of being bountiful. And I think of Jesus. He's there at the feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000. It's fascinating. When you read that miracle story, the only one found in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000, you see that the way that Jesus is described in his actions is very detailed and is common to all of the stories. There's some bread, and he takes the bread. He blesses the bread. He breaks the bread. And then he shares the bread. And it feeds everyone. There's a blessing. There's a breaking. And then there's incredible bounty. What is the purpose of breaking in your life and mine? Well, if we think of Moses, if we think of Esther, if we think of Joseph, the breaking is the moment when the revelation breaks in. The breaking is the moment when the revelation that changes everything is birthed. Moses is in his time of brokenness. I'm sure wondering what on earth he's going to do. He's just got these sheep in the middle of the wilderness and then God comes in the midst of the breaking 
and gives the revelation. Esther's the same. A whole people are going to be annihilated. Surely, a moment of ultimate brokenheartedness because that means Mordecai and everyone she knows will be killed in the midst of the breaking. She embraces it and says, I need to retreat. I need to take this moment of brokenness and not rail against it, not submit to it, not choose to become the doormat to the circumstances that are around me, but in the midst of the breaking, seek the Lord. And in the midst of the breaking, the revelation is birthed. Joseph, here's an amazing revelation of, of rulership and influence and power. And when he's languishing in the prison, he must have wondered what on earth that was about. How could he possibly influence the world when there's just a few prisoners? But if he thought about it, he would remember that all of the little breakings led to all of those amazing moments of bounty. So maybe there is a pattern here. A pattern of blessing and a breaking and a bounty. And so when... Pharaoh calls for him, having learned the path of humility. He chooses not to say it's him that can do it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, the last time that someone said that to him, he was in prison and he said, just tell me your dream. I'll explain it to you. Now, before Pharaoh, he simply says this. Mark it in your Bible. Genesis 41, 15. I cannot do it, but God can. I can't do it, but God can. The revelation has been born. The prophetic word has come to dwell, take root in his heart. And those roots go deep into his very being. And from those roots, there will be great fruitfulness. It's not too late for anyone in this room to fulfill the calling of their life. Moses had to wait until he was 80. It may be that you look back over your life and you see this pattern of blessed and broken, but you're not quite sure that you've seen the bounty yet. Well, maybe today is the moment when you embrace pattern of God's envisioning. Maybe today is the day when you fully take to yourself 
this understanding that with a revelation, I will be able to take on all of the necessary constraints to see the thing that God has designed me to do fulfilled.